0: Today, we're basically getting into how I basically almost kicked the bucket on Mount Hood two days ago. So I was climbing it and something kind of happened that was not, well, was not prepared for and just kind of kind of go through how it's really been affecting me. I also want to get in before I actually get into that main story is some other stories of close calls that I've also had and then the lessons I've learned from those as well. So I'm hoping for this to be a kind of a cathartic episode for myself and so I can kind of word vomit all over my audience, but then also have them learn from some of my mistakes because obviously if we can learn from somebody else and not have to make that mistake, that is how you stay alive in the mountains a lot easier. So like I said, before I get more into the, (laughs) thanks Mike. Appreciate you, man. Before I get into more of the before I get into the Mount Hood story proper, I want to give you some close calls that I've had leading up to that. So. And again, I think it's really important to go over some of these close calls in the mountains because of the fact that you can learn from my close calls and that will ensure that you don't go through those as well. And. Again, we want to have a great time in the mountains, but they are inherently dangerous. And and I understand that people will be like, well, you could get hurt driving in your car to work and things like that. And, and yes, that is that is valid. But or, you know, hey, it takes one in a million people to get hit, struck by lightning or things like that. But the thing the fact of the matter is, is that when you're on the mountain, your risk of getting struck by lightning, of falling or something like that is exponentially higher than just an average person walking around and just that average data. So when you're actually in the mountains, those chances go up. And so this is something I've been struggling with ever since this close call happened two days ago. But regardless, let's get into, oh, what's up, Nick? Yeah. So regardless, let's get into some of the close calls that I've had leading up to this. So the first ever close call that I had And I've never actually, I don't think I've ever told this story on a podcast before, but it was in Hell's Canyon in Oregon. So this is on the Oregon and Idaho border. The Snake River basically divides it. And this is still the roughest country I have ever been in. And by far, I mean, so just to kind of give you a picture of what it looks like. One, it's called Hell's Canyon, right? So, I mean, that kind of gives you a little bit of a (laughs) like, whoa, what the heck happened there? Or, you know, what? where did that name come from? So basically what it is, is, is if you're watching on video, it's basically, you know, the river cuts through it. You got two giant mountains or not, they're not even mountains, but just like giant ravines on both sides, giant cliffs. And I went there by myself. The first time I I moved to, to Oregon was in 2014. And so just a few months after that, I was in my low 20s. I was coming from the Midwest, had no experience, had no, didn't even know what a trail system was. Like that was a very foreign concept living in the Midwest where you're not, you don't really have public land. You don't have trails. There was no all trails at this time either. This was back in 2014. So I go out by myself. I remember driving up the road, super sketchy road. And it's fourth of July weekend. It's super hot, like one of the hottest weekends in Oregon. And I like camp that night. I get up in the morning and I take this kind of a trail system down the ravine and then I go up the other side, but I do not take a trail. I basically am completely off trail and I go up the side of this giant cliff. I cross the river. I go up the side of this giant cliff and I'm putzing around at the top there. And the whole reason I was there was because like I was trying to, I guess, scout elk was was the reason I was there. And And so like I'm, I'm bit bopping around this Ridge and I come and and, like the day kind of goes on, I'm getting hot, whatever. And I start to try to pick my way back down the Ridge to get back, get back to my camp. And this is where things kind of took a turn for the worst. I'm trying to pick my way down the Ridge and there was like, no, there's no good ways to get off of this, like basically cliffside. And it's so steep that I'm having to like sit on my butt and like scoot my butt down, like, because there's no trees on this entire slope. There's no trees anywhere, basically. I mean, there's intermittent everywhere. If I started rolling, like, I'm not gonna stop. So I start scooting on my butt. I find this like almost kind of a rock slide area. And so I'm like, okay, well, I think maybe I can go down this and then, and then hopefully like get off of this slope. The problem was, is that on the slope is that there's all this rim rock. So like you go down the slope and then there's more rim rock around it. And you try to like, it, And it's like a 30 foot, 40 foot drop, but you can't tell until you're actually like on the cliff. And so I go down this, go down this rock area and end up, I'm like working my way down. And then I slip on these rocks. I slip and I'm going downhill and I don't know how I did it, but I grabbed onto this, random sapling that was in the middle of this 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 rock field grab it and it stops my fall and I like kind of look down and it's like it would have been like again a 30 40 foot drop and I would have ne- I would have dropped and then I would have just kept rolling all the way down to the river. Extremely scary. So somehow I I stopped I haul myself out I get up I'm really wigged out I find a way down the ravine somehow again, scooting on my butt. Cause it's that, that's that steep. I crossed the river. I'm extremely like, wow. Like I, I could have died if that, if that tree wasn't there. But now my next problem was that it was so hot that I started cramping up and didn't, I wasn't versed in electrolytes at that point. Didn't understand salt. And I started cramping and all of a sudden like I can't walk. So I'm crawling up the trail literally like crawling up the trail and I try to eat all the salty foods that I can. Cause I remembered that, Oh, I think, I think you need salt crawling up the trail and somehow I find like two like sticks and I use them kind of as crutches eventually get my way up to the rig and am extremely disturbed at this point. And you know, that was kind of the first foray into like, wow, coming from the Midwest to the West, this is totally different. This is like a totally different terrain. This is like totally different um, environment and and something that I wasn't necessarily ready for. And I think that's a lesson that people need to learn, especially if they're coming from back East. And I know Nick is in this, is in this chat. Like he's from Wisconsin as well. When we'll do a podcast together where he had something happen on, on Mount hood, but Sometimes, like when you are new, like I was, you 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 aren't ready for this environment yet, this, this very extreme environment, this intense environment. So that's something if you've never done anything before, always take a partner, do not go solo like I did, and progressively increase the difficulty. Again, I didn't really understand what I was doing at that point, and I think that is the most dangerous spot to be in is where you're just completely ignorant to any of the risks. The second most dangerous thing, though, is what happened to me on Mount Hood, which, again, I'll get into after I go through a couple other instances of close calls. But the second one would be overconfidence. So my second close call would have been on Mount McLaughlin, and this was in January of 2021. I I tried to search my brain for any kind of close calls between between 2014 and 2021. And there has to be, I just, none of them stick out in my head. But the next one that, that kind of sticks out in my head is Mount McLaughlin. And this is something again, when you research these mountains and things, a lot of times these terms will be thrown around that will be non-technical. And I think that's a dangerous term to, to read because it's non-technical depending on conditions. Mount Hood can be technical depending on if you have bad conditions. There was people up there the other day that were using two, like two actual ice tools. I had two ice axes as well, but they actually had ice tools climbing in the Pearly Gates. Two couple months, you know, in May, that probably wouldn't be the case because of the conditions. The conditions are going to be better, but if the conditions are bad, a, a non-technical mountain can get technical quite fast, or if you get off route which is what happened to me. So I started getting into the mountaineering thing and again, was by myself and looked up Mount McLaughlin, wanted to summit it. I drive all the way to Southern Oregon, hike through the woods, get up there. And reading that I was non-technical, I thought I'd be good with just regular boots, not even mountaineering boots, regular boots, universal crampons and one ice axe. So I go up there, I get off route, I have to cross the face of the, the big slope. And the problem with this was is that it was January. So it was complete ice. Like I would pound my ice axe into it and it would just be like, it would like bounce off. It was like, bing, ping. So like good luck self-arresting and that type of thing, right? Eventually, I work my way up, have to talk myself into doing it, get all the way up there, summit, take an actual really cool picture. <laughs> <laughs> and, and come back down. And I'm, the whole way I'm coming back down, I'm literally down climbing facing the slope again because, I, again, I would not have been able to stop. And so that that mountain, I came back from that mountain, and I was like, wow. Like, okay, now I'm starting to understand why things are condition dependent. Also, the fact that you can't really rely on reviews because other people's risk tolerances are different than yours, and you have to know like when the months that they climbed it are because... Again, conditions can be so different. So ever, ever since that mountain, I got, I was like, I am always going to go with a partner because one, I was extremely scared out there by myself Two, like, you could have two brains working on, okay, what's the best route here? What is, you know, what should we do? You can talk it over with someone. I knew that I probably shouldn't have summited that, but I just wanted to anyways. I mean, and that, that's the, also the scary part there. And I'm going to talk about a quote that John Krakauer relayed in a book about the disaster on Everest that speaks to the how dangerous that mentality can be. And I know that about myself, but again, it's something I'm trying to work on. But now, two more stories before we get into Mount Hood. So number three was at the brothers in the Olympic range. This is later in 2021. And the brothers are a, is a mountain that has a couloir. It's called the hourglass couloir that goes up it in snow. And then you kind of do some scrambling to the top. All, like really super fun climb. Now, oops, I think I just kind of moved the video there. Okay, we're good. Now, awesome climb. So there was a great boot pack up the couloir. I'm going with two other buddies. We got ice axes, all, the whole shebang. And we summit, and now we're coming back down. And now, as you know, like anything with like climbing or anything like that, a lot of the accidents mainly happen on the way down. And my two buddies are in front of me, and I'm filming. And all of a sudden, my buddy in front just starts falling. Now there's two sections in this hourglass cooler. There's one it like it kind of goes straight up from a bunch of rocks like there's no snow then all of a sudden it goes straight up in snow and from like from that like cliff of rocks goes straight up and then it kind of goes around a corner and then it goes like up again to the summit uh, towards the summit he falls on this first part he falls and my buddy is in front of me and I look at him and he looks at me we're just like holy shit and he's just falling and he's trying to arrest and he can't Self arrest in the in the snow for whatever reason, and we're just like watching helpless, and and that's the feeling that you have. You're just helpless, and he's just falling, 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 and somehow, again, he was on that first part where it kind of curves. He like before he hits like this kind of rock patch, he somehow slows down. I don't know if there was enough friction between him and the snow. The slope got a little bit less steep. He somehow slows down. If he would have been on that, if he would not have been on that first part, if he would have been on the first part going up, he would have been hit those rocks extremely hard, probably over the cliff. And in fact, somebody had died there like three weeks before we had went. So that all happened right straight in front of me. And the rest of the time, my buddy is like extremely wigged out. Of course, I mean, it it, it makes sense, right? He's extremely wigged out. And. He, you know, the rest of the time, like he's down climbing, like super carefully and all that type of stuff. And frankly, I don't think he's really done much any of any kind of snow stuff since because that has kind of lived in his mind rent free. Now, after that one, again, it was, wow, like this stuff can be quite dangerous. Now you just heard that's that's three stories right there that I just recounted that all could have been deadly but they weren't. And my kind of theory with this is that for every accident, for every fatal accident, there's probably six that could have been extremely close accidents but weren't. So it's like, you know, you you research a mountain or you research something and you're like, "Oh, this person uh, passed away doing X Y and Z." And you're like, "Oh, well there's only been three deaths on this mountain in the last 10 years." Where you're not seeing is the six other accidents to or you know, the the exponential amount of close calls that could have happened on that mountain. And that's something that doesn't obviously get publicized. It's not somebody's not gonna there's no statistics for that, right? Something you need to keep in mind. Now, the final one before getting into Mount Hood was on Sahali Peak. This is in the North Cascades. This was in September of this year. Or last year of 22. And this was scary because we were going up this glacier. And typically with this glacier, you it's it's it was kind of a steep glacier. Most people will just do it in micro spikes. Sometimes you'll use crampons, but we were just in micro spikes and we had an ice axe. And it was four of us, and we're we're going. And my buddy's in front of me. It's it's September. So he's in short sleeves and shorts and super like athletic guy, right? Which I want to leave a note here. One thing that I want to bring up about after the Mount hood. So he's a super experienced guy and he was directly in front of me. It's probably 20 feet in front of me. We're literally just talking. He had just given his glasses off of his, uh, he gave some extra glasses to my buddy and we're going across the slope and all of a sudden next thing i know he's sliding down the he's sliding down the glacier and it's completely pure ice this this glacier again like very hard to kick steps in it's like earlier in the day so like the snow isn't soft and he's sliding down the the mountain and he's trying to self-arrest and he can't self-arrest and you know why he can't self-arrest it's because well number one it was icy but number two He didn't have any gloves on. He didn't have any gloves on. He had short sleeves and he had no, no pants on. So what's happening, his fingers, his hands, everything's getting battered and scraped and like a meat grinder, basically, because he's trying to arrest and there's so much friction and his it's all abrading his hands like he can't he can't hold on to the ice axe anymore. So he tries to do it. I'm yelling to maybe try to kick his feet in or something, which is you know typically something you're not really supposed to do unless you start growing, getting a lot slower. But like there was nothing you could do. Now there's these, these crevasses kind of at the end of where he's falling into, like these little mini crevasses. And I don't know how deep they are. I'm looking at him. I'm like, dude, like he's heading straight for them. Again, I'm with my same buddy that just saw my other guy fall at the brothers the year prior. We're watching this happen again. And he does not stop himself. He gets down to like where these like little mini crevasses are. And thankfully they like were shallow and he basically just like stops there. So he works his way back up to us and he's like kind of in shock and he's got his hands are just, they're covered in blood. I, I have a video of this. I'll actually leave a link of it. I have video of this, this, of what his hands look like his knees are scraped and bloody his arms his elbows everything's just blood so like we try to wrap him up and like tape him up and we're giving him like ibuprofen and stuff and he's like kind of like in this weird like shock i don't know mindset at this point and we haven't even gone to the hardest part of the climb yet. I mean, the climb to the summit block was the hardest part. I mean, it's kind of some fourth class with, like, some fifth possibly mixed in there. And somehow he, like, rallies and gets to the top. We basically, he basically looks like a burn victim at this point because we have, like, him covered in gauze and stuff like that. And he just – he sends it. So that was Sahale. So all of this stuff, you know – has, has happened all in front of me and all this stuff. And so you would really think and, and the things that have happened to me. So you'd really think that like me, I would, I would be looking at this stuff and be you know concerned about it. But I think what happens to me and a lot of people is the fact that you always look at things like that. And then you don't think that they can ever happen to you. So what happened on my hood? So Mount hood was two days ago and I met a guy on the Facebook group and we wanted to climb together. So the whole point of this was to snowboard down the old shoot route because I've climbed hood before. And what I really wanted to do was snowboard basically from the summit. So we go and we climb up and we start super late because we want the snow to soften up. The problem with that is that it's Probably going to be more ice fall and things. This is the biggest dangers on Mount Hood is the fact that there's like ice fall and that type of stuff. So I, I'm climbing in front of my buddy. Everything's going good. Actually, let me back up a second. The weird thing about the whole thing was that I kind of had a weird feeling about this climb, and I know everybody says that, but I think the weird feeling for me came from the fact that we were going to be snowboarding down it, and that would be a little more riskier. And I like called my parents before going, which I kind of started to do now before I go on mountains. And then I also like told my partner that I do the outdoor creator course with and I was like, oh yeah, I was like, yeah, if I die, like you could have, you could have the course and you could do this video or whatever. And, you know, I was like joking and stuff like that, but it was really weird because I've never made that joke before. Anyway, we're going up there and the the thing with Mount Hood is that there's no fall zones. So There's these things called fumaroles. And essentially what a fumarole is, to my understanding, is that, and there's two on each side. So there's the hogsback that separates the two main routes, which is up the pearly gates on climbers right or up old chute, which is climbers left. At the bottom of each one of those, there's like these big fumaroles. Now, we went up old chute because, again, conditions were not that good for going up the pearly gates that's where people were like using ice tools and and things like that and we start going up there and the problem is if you fall here you're going to be fault your direct fall line is the fumarole and i'm taking videos of this fumarole before i am ascending on this climb and the thing looks nasty it's it's essentially like this vent that Everything will just fall into. And I, like I don't know, like I know people have fallen into these things before. And I don't think that they, I mean, there's deaths all the time on Mount Hood, right? And a lot of them come from falling into these things. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if they're unable to retrieve you. I don't know if you get burnt up. I don't know, but it looks, is basically just like a hole that's like steam is coming out of right in the fall line. And I mean, I don't know how far down it goes. So we're climbing above that. And we're about three-fourths from the Summit Ridge, which is like we're almost done with the climb. There's a bunch of people, though, climbing down. And I'm sitting there, and I have two, both my ice axes in, in the snow. My buddy's behind me, and we're climbing with this other girl. We're just waiting our turn. Unfortunately, I'm in the direct fall firing line of this other shoot that nobody was in. So I thought I was good, but there was like rhyme ice sticking to the rocks on that. So as the day was heating up, there would be occasional rock fall. Well, there was, wasn't a big deal at the time, but all of a sudden I'm sitting there and two giant pieces just kind of release off of the rhyme ice above me. And I'm seeing these two giant pieces come hurtling towards me. And My first thought is that these pieces are too big to absorb and that I need to get out of the way. It's typically probably what you should do is like just stick your ice axes there and eat the ice with your helmet. That's why you have your helmet. That's why it's padded on the top. I wasn't, I don't know. They they were just, they seemed very big, bigger than the usual pieces. So I try to get out of the way. So I try to go left. However, in the process of trying to get out of the way of this ice and going left, I completely let go of both of my ice axes. Like the number one thing to not do, the number one thing that you have control over, I let go of my ice axes. I shift left. I get out of the way of the ice. However, now I have another problem which is now I'm sliding down the slope of this no-fall line, 45, 50-degree angle of snow. I'm falling down the no-fall line, going to end up in that fumarole. So I'm starting to gather more speed, and I I remember looking up. My one ice axe is still in the snow where I was, just, just sitting there. Obviously, I can't reach it. I'm accelerating down. And my other one is going down the slope. And people are like screaming below me and I'm thinking, holy shit. Like, I mean, you really aren't thinking much in that situation. I don't know. Like you're very like aware of what's going on, but also aware of like your, your first next instinct is like, how am I going to stop? So the only thing that I could think of doing was kick my feet in. And Again, typically when you're self arresting, like you don't really want to do that type of stuff because of the fact that it can flip you. It can flip you. Right. But I figured that I was still like I wasn't accelerating as fast as I like I was accelerating slow enough that maybe this could work. And I just like kicked my feet in with my crampons. And eventually I stopped. I probably slid 25 feet. And if I would have kept accelerating, that wouldn't have worked like I would have just flipped over. Now, the only thing that really saved me was the fact that the snow was soft Snow is extremely soft. If this would have happened when I was the first time I ever climbed hood, where it was like, we climbed up old shoot and there was rock fall. Same thing happened to me. I got smacked with rock fall. My GoPro, like almost fell off my head, but and the same thing happened, I like let go of my ice axe, but I stayed into the slope. But if that would have happened on that time, I would have been gone. I would have been in the fumarole, burnt up. I don't even know what the heck happens to people. So, the only thing that saved me was the fact that, of the, it was the conditions. That was what saved me. It was the soft snow, and then just thinking to kick my crampons in. Now, I'm sitting in the middle of the slope, and there's more ice fall coming down. And somehow my my ice my second ice axe, it was sliding like perpendicular to the slope, right? And it's like, oh, I'm never going to see that again. Somehow it self arrests itself, and it stands straight up. Like that. And it's like right directly above my buddy that's following behind me. So I go, so I'm standing there on the slope. Ice is still coming down. I have no ice axes. And I'm like, I go to my buddy. I'm like, dude, grab that ice axe now and like get it up to me. And so he like grabs it and he's like a little bit lower than me. So he's like trying, you know, huff and puff, try to get up there, gets me my ice axe. I boom, boom, boom. I get up to my second one and then I get way left and I get under like this kind of more protected layer of, of rhyme, I guess, if you could call it protection so we could get up into the old shoot. So eventually get up old shoot summit. And I'm pretty rocked by this whole thing. I mean, I am very, (laughs) I couldn't really enjoy the summit. It was very, like, I felt like I just escaped. Well, I did. I just kind of escaped death. And, We end up down climbing. We put our snowboard on about at the area where I fell. And eventually we snowboard around the fumarole, which was kind of scary, and then snowboard back down to the car. Okay, cool. Now, what are the things that I learned or what are the things I'm thinking about right now? Well, here's the first thing. I had a wrist sling. I had a wrist sling on my ice axe that was supposed to be attached to my wrist. So that if something happened where I lost control of an ice axe, it would not speed down the mountain. And I would still have it. I had the wrist wing, but you know where it was? It was wrapped around my ice axe. It was not around my wrist. And why was that? It was because I was too overconfident in what I was doing for the climb. And that goes back to the overconfidence thing of you have kind of two things that will kill you in the in the mountains. Ignorance and overconfidence, I think. And I was simply overconfident. Didn't think I needed the wristling, for whatever reason. And that could have proved that single thing could have proved to be deadly. Now, the other thing is, and then I talked to this, I talked to the mountain guide about this. My mountain guide buddy is his greatest fear in the mountains is like rock fall. And so like it's brother, it's sister is ice fall these are things that you necessarily can't control. You can try to get into good positions where you can lessen the chances of it happening, but like it kind of just will happen. And where I was in position of where I was in the mountain, it was in a really stupid position. I thought it was good because I was out of the fall line of all the climbers coming down the one shoot, but I was still like not in a very protected spot because there was other shoots. Nobody was coming down them, but I thought I would have been good because there was not much ice really coming down that. But I just, I still, I wasn't in like the most protected area I could have been in. The other really weird thing about this whole situation was the fact that I had texted my buddy a few weeks prior when I I had met him on Mount Hood and I realized, I had noticed that he had these two like basically bungee cords off of his harness that attached to his ice axes that he was using and i and i asked them about what it was and it was this black diamond thing i looked it up and it was like 60 80 bucks or something this was a few weeks before i climbed and i was like nah i was like ah, i don't really need that i don't really want to spend the money again this would have been something to attach to your ice axes so they don't fall out of your reach again if i would have had that i would have been using that and probably wouldn't have been a problem i probably would have been able to self arrest the lesson there is don't skimp on safety i mean you know, my mind comes back to buying an avalanche backpack. They're expensive. They weigh a lot, but you see a lot of these people surviving avalanches because they had this backpack. Again, you see a lot of avalanche victims every single year. How many had close calls? How many of those had close calls? How many of those were rescued because they were with someone or the fact that they had a, a airbag or something like that? So, when is pushing the envelope too much? And that's kind of been the theme that I've been struggling with because for me, the thing that I, I love the mountains because I just I genuinely love being outdoors. Like I, I mean, obviously if you watch myself, like I love being outdoors. I, I feel weird if I'm not. But the second thing I love the mountains for is the fact that it I can push myself. I can be uncomfortable. I always come back feeling more grateful because of whatever I went through, whether being deprived of something like on a backpacking trip or just being more grateful because I or having more confidence because I climbed something that was really challenging, something like that. But I can see that becoming a problem because the more that I progress, the harder the challenges I'm going to be seeking, meaning likely they're going to be more risky. And that kind of leads me into the quote by that by John Krakauer. And I'm just going to kind of read this line by line here. But this really hit me. And it and it said so John Krakauer is a, a famous author and he wrote, I believe it was called Into Thin Air, which is about that 1998, I believe, Everest disaster where a bunch of people ended up passing away on that on that mountain because of a storm that came in. People essentially people were at the top. They were too tired to get down. They got stuck in a storm and all that kind of stuff. But what he said, what he writes is he said, unfortunately, the sort of. So let me rephrase. Unfortunately, the sort of individual who is programmed to ignore personal distress and keep pushing to the top is frequently programmed to disregard signs of grave and imminent danger as well. This forms the nub of a dilemma that every Everest climber eventually comes up against. In order to succeed, you must be exceedingly driven. But if you're too driven, you'll likely die. Above 26,000 feet, moreover, the line between appropriate zeal and reckless summit fever becomes grievously thin. Thus, the slopes of Everest are littered with corpses. So that is the mentality that I know is very accurate about myself that also... um, that also concerns me, I guess. So yeah, it's been something that's been on my mind the last (laughs) few days that I uh, got off the mountain. And so I've just been doing, like I did a ski tour yesterday by myself, just kind of letting it work around in my mind and think about things. And really, I think what you ask yourself at the end of all this is like, why was, why did this not happen? You know, I could have been easily a statistic that was, oh, another, another climber dies on Mount Hood. And I think we always chalk that up to, oh, well, they weren't experienced. They didn't have this or they didn't have that, which a lot of times can be true. But the thing that's really disturbing is like when you see experienced people pass away also in the mountains. And then you're like, oh, like they even had training. They knew what they were doing and it's still like something happened to them. And that's, I think, more of the disturbing part because – Obviously, anybody passing away is disturbing. What I'm saying is that having, like, I'm a big proponent of training for the mountains, of being fit, of being knowledgeable about doing all this stuff. But even then, even then, you can have an accident, you can have a lapse in judgment, or something unlucky can happen, and you are inside of a fumarole on my hood. So. Yeah, so what I'm going to do with kind of this series, I think, going forward is I have a few people lined up that I want to talk to about this. I want to talk to my buddy Nick, who had an accident himself on Mount Hood and, you know, had to make that call to 911 to get support, to get help, to get off of the mountain. The other killer in Mount Hood is like being inside of a ping pong ball when the clouds come and not knowing where you're at, like can't tell up from down. So we'll talk about that rescue. And then I want to talk about talk to my mountain guide buddy, Josh, about some of the things that have happened to him. I know he's encountered some rock fall where him and his wife were on a ledge. So, you know, it's stuff like that that happens. Now, I don't think that like for in terms of like backpacking and things like through hiking. I don't think it's it's as like this stuff will come up, but I think it's almost more of once you start getting into that mountaineering, that rock climbing stuff, which is something that things that I find alluring for whatever reason, you start to see the risk level increase. So I don't want anybody to be scared off like backpacking and things like that with this. But when you start to make that progression, if you start to make that progression of combining your backpacking skills with climbing, climbing. anything like that, which is what I like to do. These are going to be lessons that you want to hear so you don't make them yourself. So if this made you think, if this is going to help you in the future, please like this video, please subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, because I also will be uploading this to my peanut butter and mountains podcast, just tap Uh, if you could just tap the little review button at the top, give me the, give me the five stars. If you could, if you think it's worth it and follow on there for every time that I upload. So that is, that is about the end of the live. I'll kind of look, look in at the old chat here. We got Mike says, loves what you're doing. Thanks for the inspiration. Appreciate you, Mike. You're the man. Nick Larson, glad you're okay, my dude. Nick is Nick is a great guy, and this is going to be a guy that I have on my podcast. And, again, talking about what happened to him on Mount Hood, awesome snowboarder too. I mean, we were we were just hanging out in Mount Bachelor. He got me in there for free because he knows everybody there, and it was freaking awesome. I haven't rode a resort for forever, and he was just ripping. Great guy. And we have unedited lens. Glad you're still here. Thank you, man. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and wisdom from your experiences. Well, I appreciate everybody for, yeah, listening. And hopefully everybody kind of can take away something from this. And I think like the number one thing, again, is that you can't, you have to take the totality of of your experience level, the conditions, and just bad luck. I mean, these are the things, these are killers. And then also like being ignorant and overconfident. So that's kind of like what I would leave people with. But yeah, so I appreciate everybody hanging out with me today. If you have any other requests for maybe a live or something like that or or, or a podcast, please let me know down in the comments and have a killer Sunday. I'm still glad to be with you guys and I'm still glad to be making content. (laughs) We'll talk to you later.